Um, we are in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue our look at spiritual warfare. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles there, you may uh, hear uh, in my voice. I want to apologize ahead of time. I am in a uh, full, full-blown flu-like symptoms. Uh, I am cold one second and sweating uh, the next. Uh, I actually just walked in so that I can avoid being around you. So I apologize uh, for the kind of the general grotesqueness of my being this morning and for any uh, bizarre sounds, whether it be coughing or blowing of nose that happens during this. Um, and then also I, I probably will go immediately back, uh, escape to my office so that whatever vile menace has invaded my body, I will not share with you after the service. But there is good news in this. I'll probably also preach uh, shorter. So uh, there's, there's good news in, in, in some of these things as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 is where we are for the third straight week. For the third straight week as we look at kind of, before we look at the, the specifics of the armor of God for the rest of the summer, we have kind of been doing these verses in order to give us an overview of spiritual warfare. We've been looking at the idea and particularly there in verse 11 that, um, and 12, that there is a, the devil has schemes against us, that he has cosmic powers, that he moves and works to engage our flesh, to tempt us, uh, to use uh, the, the, the world in order to bring destruction and death here. Um, and today we look, though, what does it look like to be strong and stand against the evil one? So let's read God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This is the reading of God's holy and errant and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God stand forever. Well, um, J.R.R. Tolkien in his first book from the Lord of the Rings called The Hobbit um, has one of his characters say this about a, a dragon name is, whose name is Smouge, which is just kind of a, a fun name to say. Um, but they were trying to debate as to whether they were going to engage this dragon. Is there a way to go around the dragon to do what they want to do? And he says this, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. And um, what I'm here to say and what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks is we live near a live dragon. The Bible describes the evil one is powerful and that he is seeking your destruction uh, in this world, the destruction of all that you love, the destruction of God's creation. And what the Bible also tells us, though, is the good news that while we do have an enemy, that our enemy's back has been broken through the cross of Jesus Christ. But that, that as, as, as much as that is good news for us, it also makes him a, a far more frightening enemy. In other words, he has nothing to lose. He, he is like a kamikaze in World War II where he is, Satan is simply trying to take as much uh, death and destruction with him as he goes down into the pit. His fate is sealed and he knows his time is short and so his rage is all the more we know. And so we, get ready, we have to get ready to fight, to stand up. This passage can't be any more adamant. We've been looking the last couple of weeks at the nature of who we're fighting against all to get to this premise. This imperative, this call, stand firm against the evil one. Don't cut and run. Don't retreat. Don't run away. Stand, stand, stand. 
Now, remember when Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he was in the midst of battling various ecclesiastical and cultural and societal powers, they brought Luther before the church council and demanded that he recant his views and quit his preaching. And they used all sorts of threats against him. They used force and violence and the very real threat of death. They used lies and false witnesses against him. But after all that, what did Luther stand up and say before that council? This may be apocryphal that he actually said this, but we're, many people believe he, has, he does say this. He said this, unless I am convinced by either the scriptures or right reason for my conscience is held captive by the word of God, I cannot and will not recant. For to go against the conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, here I stand. Here I stand, I can do no other. And that is what we're talking about today. The stand of, uh, of us the soul stand against evil and the temptations. That in Jesus, we were meant to have a strength of soul. That when we encounter temptations from within, when we encounter sufferings and oppression from without, that the evil one would use to steal our joy and to dismantle us, that we are able to handle these things without falling. But instead, we stand firm. Stand firm. And so we're going to ask this question this morning. What do you need? What do you need in order to stand firm? In order to stand firm against this evil one who, who desires your destruction, your temptation, your oppression to accuse you. What do you need in order to stand? I'm going to give you three things this morning. First is this, is simply the determination to stand. It says, be strong. Be strong in verse 10. Now, who is it speaking to? Who is supposed to be strong? Paul is talking to Christians that you are supposed to be strong. And this is important. This is a call to you and I that we are to be spiritually, have powerful muscles. Now, in our own strength, we are weak. And we will talk about that in just a minute. But in a world where we would love to remove responsibility and accountability, some have taken the message to heart about our weakness and have run with it with license to not fight to not seek strength in the Lord. And so we say things, we, we so communicate that grace means you don't do anything and you don't fight for holiness. Or we have phrases like let go and let God. But that's not what we are called to here. We are not called to let go and let God. We are we're told by the strength of the Lord Jesus that you and I are to be strong and that we are not to be spiritual victims where we say that just because we, we don't, we, we, we can't fight against the evil one. When we say that we are weak and therefore we shouldn't be expected to actually resist evil. No, you are expected to resist evil. You are expected to resist temptation and to be strong in the Lord. But God says that we can and we should be strong because we have the strength of his might. Let me just give you a few of the passages. The New Testament communicates this. In fact, we can't make much sense of so many of the calls of the New Testament unless we believe that you and I are actually supposed to be strong. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, you fight the good fight of the faith. Paul, in the very famous verse of 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I did it. I did these things. Yes, it was not me and my own strength, but it was the power of God in me, but I was still the agency of God's power, the vessel of God's power in this world. Is that it's the astounding thing 
then this is one of the things that we hold to with trust and faith that in Christ Jesus, you can do all things. You can resist evil. You can bear up under suffering. In and of ourselves, yes, I am weak. But in the power of the Lord, we can be super conquerors and mighty. Is that the way you see your life? Is that the way you see yourself and the other Christians around you? Do you have an awareness, a battle awareness that this is what you're called to? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 makes it plain that God does not want for us passivity in the fight, nor is it proud confidence in self, but he says, our strength comes from the Lord and you will indeed be strong. Let me see if I can illustrate what's going on here through a little bit of a parable. Let's imagine that you're going along a trail, and there is a large tree that has fallen across it. And in order to, you can't get around it for, for, let's say it traps you in, and you can't continue along the trail, and so you need to move this tree. And so here's the question. Do you move it? Here's your options. You can move it in your own strength. That's not what the Bible says. Or you can say, God, would you come and move this tree for me? Or there's the view that I take part of the tree and God takes the other part of this tree and we move it together. But the biblical view is that actually God comes to live inside of me by his Holy Spirit and by his power in me, he enables me to move the tree. This is the the theology of the Bible when it comes to our sanctification, when it comes to our fight. And so we do give things to things like the, the Christian disciplines, that we do seek to fight for purity and for holiness, and that we do, we, we believe that our freedom has been given to us in this life not to give ourselves over to up more sins and to simply give in to temptation, but we have been given freedom in this world, not as a means to be able to drink more or engage in more entertainment or to spend our money as we please, but we are to take our freedom and use it as a means to fight the good fight. Understand this. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we were once slaves to sin and to the devil, and now you have been set free, which means this, that the kingdom of God is a slave revolt. And that is who you are. That we were once captives to slaves, to slavery, to sin, and to the devil, and yet you have been set free, and now you fight the very ones that held you captive for so many years. And so I ask you, have you come to a place where you are determined to fight? That you have put your foot down and said, this is where I will stand. Do you know where the battle lines are in your life? Where is the evil one seeking to destroy you? Where is the evil one seeking to bring dissension in the church that we need to fight against? How is the evil one seeking to take your home? And have you determined to say, I will be a part of the fight? I will not back down. And so have you determined to fight? Or are you like Mark Twain, who said that his best way that he feels like he is to deal with the temptation was to give in to it? We are not to be people who give in to temptation, but we are to fight against it, determined to do so. So once you've determined to fight, to stand, what do you need then? Well, then you need the strength to do so. And that is the second thing I want you to see this morning, that if you're going to be able to stand, you need the strength to do it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is a question of where is the source of your strength? Is the source of your strength you or is the source of your strength the Lord? If you're going to be strong in the Lord, we must be brought to a place where first we renounce confidence in the self. We renounce confidence in the self and our own strength. Luther said it in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. 
Did we, in our own strength, confide our striving would be losing? This is where we would be. Now, we like plans, and we like self-reliance, don't we? we you know, remember after the Boston Marathon bombing a number of years ago? What, what, were, the, what were the t-shirts that they made? That we were all to be Boston strong. Now, this is part of the, the, the American credo, that we are people of strength. But what is the context in which we experience the strength of the Lord? Is it our own strength? No. The means by which you come to a place where you can be strong in the Lord is when you come to a place where you realize your own personal weakness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is sharing with the church in Corinth about how he had a physical affliction and God wouldn't take it away. And he asked God and God said no. And he asked again and God said no. And he asked again and God said no. But then God didn't just simply say no, he said this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in strength? No, in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, when I realize my weaknesses, when I realize what I'm up against, that then I look and I find his strength is there for me. And therefore, it is a profound gift of God to be put in circumstances where you come to the realization of your own weakness. That is a gift of God. That is not the curse of God. The only way to be Jesus strong is to realize how weak you are. You cannot be strong without recognizing the inherent deep weakness and need that you have. A number of years ago, rising superstars in our own denomination, Jason and Kara Tippetts, went to plant a church in Colorado. And I've spoken about Kara Tippetts and her ministry uh, as she died of cancer a number of years ago, a number of times from this pulpit. Let me share with you, they went to Colorado, having gone through all the evaluations and going to plant this church. And then they, but she, Kara Tippetts tells this story. She said, the first night in our new home, I got up and felt like I was going to throw up. I went to the bathroom, and the next thing I knew is I was waking up in a pool of my own blood, not sure what was going on. My face was smashed into the floor, my nose was broken, my teeth, teeth had gone through my lips. I was rushed to the hospital where I got cleaned up and stitched up, and there they discovered that I had a heart arrhythmia. And that was their first day in church planting. 10 days later, Ten days later, the Waldo Canyon fires swept down into their neighborhood, and they found themselves ten days later after they had moved all of their possessions, all of their life into a new home, fleeing that very same home with nothing but their children and their dog. And then two weeks later, after a couple weeks of seeking to help recover the house from the damage from the smoke, she felt a lump in her breast. And the cancer went from her breast to her uterus to her brain to her bones. And she said this, we came to Colorado Springs in strength and we were reduced to utter weakness. But guess what? That woman in the final years of her life had a ministry all over this world through a blog and through writing books that gave account after account proclaiming the goodness and the faithfulness of God in the midst of her own suffering and travails. She was Jesus strong. Not Kara strong, Jesus strong. 
So if you're going to be strong, you have to renounce all confidence of strength in self. But second, we also must cling to his power at work in us. His power. The word, therefore, might is excuo, which means that he has the capacity. It speaks to the ability of God's power. In other words, his strength is able. I have strength, but it's not able. My strength isn't much able to do much, but his strength is able to do much. There is strong, and then there is Jesus strong. His strength is capable. If you know Jesus today, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you have the power to overcome the enemy. You say, but what about the weaknesses that you just mentioned? Yes, but he is powerful in you and for you. This is why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. I'm just going to barrage you with scriptures here for just a second. He asks this, that you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might. 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue from every evil deed and bring me safely home into his heavenly kingdom. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, with the Lord is faithful, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then my favorite is this, 1 John 4.4, and I love the beginning of it. Little children, you who are weak. You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What would it mean for you to realize that there is a power that resides within you that has been given to you as a, as a gift from God that is powerful to defeat the evil one? Which means this, your porn addiction, the evil woman used, would use that to communicate to you that you will never be set free. That is not true. That your gambling addiction, that your constant sense of insecurity that just seems to reside there under the surface, that dogs your life and destroys your relationships and destroys your joy, that does not have to define you and be the thing that is in your life. You have the power of Jesus to defeat those things. And now, this is really important. How is the might and the capability and and the power of Jesus most profoundly seen? Is it through thunderstorms and lightning and an enormous bicep? No. How does he display his strength? He displays it most by becoming weak. He destroys the evil one through his own weakness. He takes on flesh. He wins by losing. He triumphs by serving. Satan believes. And if you look at Matthew chapter 4, The context there, when when the evil one comes to tempt Jesus in the the deserts, the evil one believes that Jesus is going to try to win by the very terms that the evil one fights at, by the world's terms. And so he comes, and he seeks to tempt Jesus around worldly things. What does he offer him? First, bread. Then he offers him power and might. And lastly, he offers him the world's adoration and worship. But the power of Christ is utterly different than the power of this world and the power that Satan is after. Jesus was powerful, and he displays his power by triumphing through weakness and through death. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 2, God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name that is above every name. But how does it say in Philippians 2 that Jesus earns the adoration? 
It says in Philippians 2, 7, he emptied himself and he became a servant unto death. You ask, is God able to defeat all the evil and the suffering and the temptation that we face in this world, in the powers of this world, and the answer of the cross is not only can he defeat them, but he can defeat them in a moment of his greatest weakness. And so how do you know? How do you know that you are fighting with the strength of the Lord? How do you know that you're not like fighting in your own strength? I, I do think this can be sometimes confusing, right? Because we so quickly become self-reliant. We, one question is this I might ask is what weapons are you seeking to use in the fight? The evil one thinks that Jesus is going to use the weapons of this world. But Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20 tells us what two primary weapons that we're to use. Word and prayer. Word and prayer, that's what the armor of God, it's the truth of God and the prayer. Is that what you're fighting with? When you see the cosmic ruling and powers of this world take a political form, do you believe that that is going to be defeated by by worldly political power? Or do you believe that's going to be defeated through the word of God and by prayer? We've gotten quite confused by this. That we are not, we don't win by fighting on the evil one's terms and by his means and methods. Are you fighting as he fights or are you fighting with the strength of Jesus? We are often strong in the flesh and weak in the spirit. Strong in the flesh means you give primary in, in, emphasis in the fight by doing things like changing circumstances. And if you're, you're, you're struggling financially, well, I just need to add more money to the bank account. And I need to get more downtime and more rest, moving to a new place, or making my life easier in general. And so you don't take up opportunities to serve, because that would stretch me too far, and then I would feel the temptation of the testing. Or, or do you have the strength of the Lord? Are you strong in the spirits? Showing the Spirit means you have a primary emphasis in the truth of God's word and crying out to the Lord in prayer. When you're fighting temptation, when you're fighting the accusations of the evil one, when you see the evil one's presence in our community, in our city, in our world, how do you fight against it? By man's strength, by the world's strength, or by the spiritual strength that the Lord offers us? Let me give you an illustration of what this might look like in your life by giving what it may look like in my life. To be strong in the Lord means you get to have courage, that you can engage with the things that are difficult in this life. But by being strong in the way that Jesus is strong means you engage with those things at, in the weakness of Jesus, with the way in which Jesus displays power. So let me illustrate it this way. We have one particularly um, challenging child in my family. Um, he is um, profoundly, often emotionally dysregulated, And when he gets emotionally dysregulated, defiance happens. And when defiance happens, there is no moving him. An immovable wall goes up and there's nothing for it. Now in moments of spiritual weakness where I'm trying to engage with the issue with him out of my flesh and out of spiritual strength, what do I do? What do I do in that moment? I use the power of my voice. I use my physical presence. I use threats and manipulation. And by the way, that goes as well as you think it might. And what does that lead to? It leads to disconnection and destruction in my relationship with that child. But here's the other way. If I have the strength of God, I go, I will re-engage. I, I don't know how to fix this child. I am desperate to see his heart change. 
but I'm not going to give up, and so I'm going to go in with the strength of the Lord. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to go in with courage, but I'm going to go in with the, with the way God is strong, which I'm going to go in with weakness, which means I go in meekly, gently. My voice is quiet. I give him this, just simply my presence. I cry out to God, and I say, God, I cannot change this child's heart. I cannot move him from this place. Even if I could physically pick him up and move him and make him obey, I cannot make him want to obey. And so how do I engage with him then? With quietness, with love, with affection. And what happens then in that relationship? Repair, reconnection, regulation. John 15 says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. But with me, there's nothing that you cannot do. So if you want to stand, you need the ability and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the imperative here to be strong is he says, if you're going to be strong and if you're going to be able to stand, you have to put on the armor of God. To be strong in the Lord, how are you going to carry that out is you have to put on the armor of God. Hold on. Try having a runny nose like a toddler in front of a bunch of adults. Um, So we need armor for the stand. We need armor for it. It says this in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Then in verse 13 it says, therefore take up, take up the armor of God. Now two things I want you to understand about this. What is being called for here, what Paul is telling us to do in putting on and taking up is first he is telling you to take up and to put on something that you already possess. He is not saying go find clothes that are not already yours. It didn't say take or go find the armor of God. You don't, you don't have it, and so you got to go find it. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying go get righteousness and go get peace and go get goodness. No, Paul is saying that you put on and you utilize that which you have already been given. It's yours. It's at your disposal. And the second thing what this means is putting on and taking up means to mobilize that armor into the fight. The specifics of the armor. It means you mobilize it to engage the evil one. My favorite movie, perhaps, in the whole world is the movie Darkest Hour. And it it kind of runs the, it's kind of a biopic looking at the history of when Churchill became the prime minister of, of England, right in the midst of the darkest moments of their history. And they put a quote at the very end of that movie that's actually a quote by JFK. He said when he spoke of Churchill himself, but they took it out of the mouth of JFK and they put it in the, the mouth of another character at the very end of the movie. And this character, after hearing one of you know, Churchill's most famous speeches about we will fight on the beaches and we will fight on the streets, he said this of Churchill's speech, that he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. And what God is calling you to do in putting on and taking up the armor of God is that you mobilize the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its amazing facets and you send it into battle. That we put on and we take up the armor of God and we take up the benefits of the gospel and we use them in our life to speak against the lies of the evil one taking that which is objectively true that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross and we make it subjectively true in my heart and life experience. So here's what I mean by that. That there are things that you intellectually that you believe that you struggle to put into practice. 
into play in the midst of temptation. Let me give you an illustration of this from the Bible. Remember when the disciples are in the boat with Jesus? Jesus had a long day, and so he goes to take a nap. And an enormous storm, so life circumstances, right? Enormous storm enters into their, comes across the Sea of Galilee, and they are really scared. And the evil one uses in that moment that they begin to question and to doubt Jesus. And they go and they wake Jesus up, and what do they say to him? What do they say? Do you not care? Don't you love us? What is that? That's the same voice of the evil one in Genesis chapter 3 when he comes to Eve and says, ha, he's not really good. So the evil one takes the circumstances that are in, he twists a lie, and they go to Jesus, and they speak that very lie. And if you're Jesus, don't you want to, you look at Jesus and you go, yeah, yes, I, I left heaven and I was born in a cattle stall, and I live with nothing in this world, and I'm going to be soon hung on a tree, and I'll be naked, all because I just don't care about you. That if you're Jesus, that would, isn't that what you'd want to say? And then what's going on with the disciples in that moment? They knew that Jesus was God. They had seen his miracles. They knew that he had power. They knew that he could have power over the storm. And at one day, that there was not one day that they would lose from their lives without his permission and under his sovereign will. They knew all that, but when the storm hit, did they really know it? No. Because they didn't mobilize the truth that they knew here into the temptation that they faced. And so this is what we're called to do. What is the ruling voice in the midst of suffering and temptation for you? Is it the whispers of the evil one? Is it the inklings of your own flesh? Or is it the voice of God in the gospel? Has it so become saturated into your heart and your mind that you think the good news? How does this armor help us withstand? So let me just give you an overview of where we're going to be going for the rest of the summer. I'm going to try not to steal the thunder from the rest of the series, but this is the overview. Think about who the evil one is and how each of these aspects of the armor of God particularly go against him. The evil one is the deceiver. So what's the first one? So put on the belt of truth. He is the accuser, so it's the second one. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. He accuses you that you are guilty and that you're condemned before God, and, but the gospel says, no, you are righteous in the sight of God. He is the oppressor, so you put on the shoes of the gospel by which you run from the temptations of the evil one, and you put on the helmet of salvation so that you can endure and you can know that in the midst of suffering and oppression that these things are temporary and that salvation is coming, your deliverer is coming to you. He is the tempter. And so you put, take up the shield of faith. That the flaming arrows of temptation that are sent at us, sending us against us, arrows of lust and covetousness or greed or bitterness, and we extinguish them by faith in what? God's promises. That says that this, the things of God are better than the momentary delights of this world. And he is our enemy. And so he calls us to fight our enemy. And so he gives us the sword of God's word and we fight back, and we cut against the things of the darkness in this world. Remember what Jesus, when he's faced with temptation in Matthew chapter 4 in the midst of the desert? How does he fight back against the evil one's temptations? Over and over again, he quotes from the word of God. And actually, where does he particularly quote from? Deuteronomy. What if your spiritual victory was based around your ability to quote Deuteronomy? That would get dismaying. So let me, I don't know that we're going to do a great job quoting Deuteronomy, but so let me tell you, point you to a different place that may be a really good place to go that I think is a great example of what it looks like to do spiritual warfare, and that is the Psalms. 
the, the idea and the example of mobilizing and taking up the, mar, the armor of God against the evil one's attacks. Think about this. If you literally read the Psalms, the, the psalmist often in the Psalms will be communicating the context of some suffering and even some temptation like, I, I was tempted to be jealous and to envy the wicked and the rich. Things like that. But then what does he do? He keeps talking to himself. He'll speak to his very soul and he'll preach to himself. For example, in Psalm, chapter, Psalm 103, the psalmist specifically speaks to his soul. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. In other words, what does he do? He says, soul, bless the Lord. And then what does he say? And forget not all his benefits. And then what does the psalmist do? He just simply begins to list off the blessings of God. God forgives your iniquity, and he heals your diseases, and he redeems your life from the pit, and he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The armor of God, that's what those things are. And that's what we're going to do the rest of the summer. To look at each of the facets, the belt of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, and gospel shoes, and say, how does these things help us, these benefits, these benefits, these gifts? But understand real, real quickly, Whose armor is it? It is the armor of God. He gives it to you. How do we have all of these benefits? You know, they say that Trajan, the great Roman captain, when he was on the field of battle, he was known and renowned for taking off his own armor and putting it on the wounded men who might be around him. And he would take his clothes and he would tear them up and tear up his garments in order to use them as bandages. But that's nothing compared to Jesus. That man, Trajan takes his armor and his clothes and rips them up. Jesus has his very body torn for you and I. He has his very self torn up. And he, he took the spear that was meant for us into his very heart so that we did not have to pay the debt of our sin. But we get to put on the full armor of God because Jesus Christ made himself vulnerable for you so that you may now be protected in every day of your life by him. And so Christian, what are we saying? Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. With the strength of my own abilities leading me there? No. With my own power and might? No with the cross of Jesus Christ going on before. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take it up. And so I pray in this room this morning that we would take up the armor of God, that we would resolve to stand. And Lord, where, is, where are the places, I pray that your, your spirit would come and convict us, where are those places that we need to, that we, the battle is there, and that we need to put our feet down and say, no more. I'm not going to give in to that temptation. I'm going to fight that now. N no longer is the evil one going to just be able to run rampant in my home in this way. No longer will I live by the power of my own flesh. But Lord, help us to take these things up. Would you teach us, Lord, what it is to take up your weapons and your armor and use them with skill and equipping to fight the evil one on our behalf and on behalf of those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.